You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Yeah, well, good morning. Welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you joining us online, we're so glad that you're able to join us as well. For those of you who may be guests, we're glad that you've taken time to join us today. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here at Scotts Hill. It's always a pleasure to stand, to worship, to pray together with a wonderful faith family. So excited to see everyone here. Before I begin this morning, I just want to remind you of a couple of things that are going to be going on this week. Again, this Tuesday night from 6.30 to 7.30, we're having a corporate prayer time as a body of Christ. Last Tuesday, we had an extremely wonderfully sweet time together as we prayed together. We had a large group of folks here. We began to call out to God. It was very obvious that the Spirit of God was with us as we prayed together. And if you were not here, we want to invite you to join us this Tuesday night from 6.30 to 7.30. We don't necessarily do any music starting. We give a little instruction. We begin in prayer. It's very focused. It's directed. And it was a wonderfully sweet time. So we want you to be a part of that. Next Sunday evening, we're having a time of praise and worship and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We're going to meet together in this room. I believe it's at six o'clock and uh, we want you to gather with us as we come together as a corporate body just to sing praises to our God so we can worship him and then we have the opportunity as a faith family to do the Lord's Supper together. That's next Sunday evening. Make sure you mark that down. And then this Wednesday, I just want to give you a little heads up. Chris and I and 12 other couples in the life of our church are flying to Israel And we're going to do a Holy Land trip, and we're going to a number of different places, and Chris and I will be leading them through that time, and we're going to have devotions every day at different places as we look at how scriptures connect with the places that we're going to. And we're going to be gone for the next two weeks. Now, this is our inaugural trip that we're doing, and our plan would be even next year to do one and have more people involved and go. So if you're thinking that you would love to go to the Holy Land with folks from this church, we're going to look at the possibility of next year making that happen, and we'll give you more information about that as the time comes along. Jeff Poteet will be preaching for the next two Sundays as we continue to stay in our series for the church. But today, if you would, take your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we continue in this series for the church. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who is a young man that he's trained into the ministry. Timothy is in Ephesus, and he's the elder of the church there in Ephesus. But Paul is somewhere in Macedonia, and he writes this letter to Timothy to give him specific instruction for the church. And we said that this letter is built on three pillars, if you would. Number one, to guard the gospel. He charges Timothy with that. Secondly, is to govern the church. What's the structure to be for the life of the church? And thirdly, is how to guide in holy behavior. So far, we've seen all three of those. He begins with guarding the gospel, goes into the testimony, gives some instruction for godly behavior in the life of the church. And in chapter three, he's telling us about how the church is to be governed. Now, last week I said, this typically, chapter three, is not real exciting for most people. You get into chapter three and you're learning about elders and you're learning about deacons and you're thinking, really, how does this impact my life biblically? How is it practically working out? 
It is vitally important that the body of Christ understand the leadership structure in the church so that there would be unity and freedom to be able to accomplish the things that God has. Last week, we began verses one through seven in chapter three, looking at elders. And we wanted to know who are elders, what do they exist, and what is their responsibility? The apostle Paul reminds us of this statement that we came down to. An elder is a qualified man who oversees the work of the church with other qualified men by means of shepherding. Now, what we mean by that is all the places through scripture where you see elder, it's always in reference to a man. And it's always in reference to a plurality of men who are working and leading the church in three major areas of doctrine, of, of direction, and of discipline in the life of the church. And they shepherd the body. So last week, we talked about a lot about that this is the role of elders. We talked about their characteristics and all the different things that God looks for in an elder. But today, we're going to be talking about deacons. We move from that position of elders to the position of deacons. Now, when we talk about deacons, right now, many of you have all kinds of thoughts in your head about what a deacon is. Some of you might be thinking about football and, and the demon deacons, I don't know. And, um, or, but, but the deacons concept, every church has a different idea. Some people think that the deacons' responsibility are, are those men who take care of the buildings and the grounds and the facilities. That's their job. All they do is they mow the grass, they make sure everything's painted, they take care of the building and make sure everything is presented. Some people view deacons as the board of directors in the life of the church. And nothing gets done without the approval of the deacons. They run everything. In fact, they act as a check and balance system for the pastors. And if the pastors want to come up with an idea, then the deacons have the freedom to be able to shoot them down because they don't like it. And in a lot of churches, that's how deacons operate. They control everything in the life of the church. Then there are those churches that see deacons responsible for certain ministries, like they might run the sound, or they might be a part of the security team, or they might work in a nursery, and they have specific job titles, and that's all they do. And then there are churches that see that deacons really are everyone in the church, since the word deacon just simply means to serve and all believers are called to serve, then everybody in the church that's a Christian is a deacon. Well, the problem with that view is if everybody's a deacon, then there's no specific office necessary for deacons or qualifications for those to fill that office. While it is true, every single child of God is called to serve. We are to model the heart of Christ. Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And while every child of God is called to serve, not every child of God is called to serve in the office of deacon. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna take this passage, verses eight to 13, and I wanna be able to just answer four questions for you. We're gonna look at four questions. The first question is, what is the relationship between elders and deacons? We got to know that. Second question is, what are the characteristics of deacons for deacon ministry? Here's a third one that's a huge controversial one. 
Where does the role of gender play for the role of deacons? Can a woman serve as a deacon in a local church? And then we're gonna look at what are the rewards for those who serve well. So those are the four questions. Two weeks ago, I went 54 minutes in my sermon on complementarianism. Last week, I went 50 minutes on elders. My goal today is about 35 minutes. Okay, so I'm gonna to try to get this in because we're gonna, it's not that deacon ministry is not important. It's just that we can cover a lot because so much has already been covered. So what do we, what do we know about deacon ministry? Well, let's look at what the Apostle Paul tells us about the deacon ministry in the life of the church. First Timothy chapter three, verse eight. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well." For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would fill me, give me clarity as we teach, as we look to see what your word and what your desire is for Scotts Hill, for the church. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's deal with the first question. The first question is, what is the relationship between elders and deacons? You've got the elders over here, and now, likewise, he brings up the deacons. And so there must be some relationship there, right? When most people think about deacon ministry, they always go to Acts chapter 6. Because Acts chapter 6, we see the body of Christ growing after the days of Pentecost, and there's a lot of people coming into the life of the church. There was a problem there. The Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked during the daily distribution of food. So the apostles are saying, we don't have time to wait tables. We don't have time to cook. We don't have time to pass out food. Let's select seven men who are filled with wisdom and the spirit, and let's let them do this job. So many people think that those seven men were the first deacons in the church, but they really were not. Because nowhere in that passage is the word diakonos for deacon used of them. And never in scripture are those seven men ever in any place called deacons. They're only referred to as the seven. So you really can't use Acts chapter six as a basis for deacon ministry, although there's some similarities. And the first time we even see the word presented as an office is in Philippians chapter one, verse one. The apostle Paul brings this up. And matter of fact, Paul is the one that teaches us almost everything we know about deacon ministry. He is the one that speaks more about deacons than anybody else in the New Testament. So almost everything we know about deacons comes from the apostle Paul. And he begins by saying this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers or elders and the deacons. So he has overseers and deacons. 
And the interesting relationship is this. The apostle Paul is the one that tells us about elders and he's the one that tells us about deacons. Now I want you to notice something here. Overseers comes before deacons and it always does in scripture. In fact, when you go to the book of Acts, you find them constantly appointing elders, pointing elders, pointing elders, but there's nothing said about deacons. It's not until you get to Philippians chapter one, verse one, which was written in the 50s. I'm talking about the original 50s, not 1950. I'm talking about 50. 20 years after Jesus died, was buried and rose from the dead. And so the church is growing. And so there's a need for deacons to come along with elders. Now, here's what's interesting. You will see elders mentioned without deacons but you will never in scripture see deacons mentioned without elders. And that's because the spiritual authority in the church is always the elders. And the deacons take their service from the elders. It's really interesting. In this passage in Timothy, he mentions both deacons and elders. But when you get to Titus, he only mentions elders because the church wasn't large enough at that point to have deacons. So here's the point. A church may only have elders and no deacons, but a church can never function with deacons without elders. And the sad thing is too many of our churches today are trying to have the deacons to overrun and um, overload the work of elders rather than the other way around. The word deacon is the word diakonos. And the word diakonos has four possible meanings. When you look at the word deacon, a lot of people just use it as, it just means to serve, kick up dust. Well, it has a lot of meanings. Let me give you four meanings for the word. It could be a table attendance. This is like a waiter. A waiter who's waiting on people, serving them food, much like when you go to a restaurant. It's a common waiter who's taking care of the needs of others with food and drink. There's domestic attendance. This is somebody that works in someone's home or business, and they have a specific task or multiple tasks that they do every day. The third is a communication and delivery person. This is a person who's commissioned to carry a special message as a messenger or an envoy to somebody of importance. And the last one is an assistant to a superior. This is somebody who carries out the duties that a superior gives them to aid them in their work. Now, of all of these, it doesn't refer to a table attendant or domestic or this the most common application for deacon is that they are assistants. They're assistants to whom? They're assistants to the elders. So the job of a deacon in the life of a church is to assist the elders in taking care of the needs of the church. And these deacons do not come with any spiritual authority. They just simply come as servants assisting the elders in taking care of the needs of the church. You could put it this way. Elders are servant leaders. They're the ones that lead the church. Deacons are leading servants who assist the elders in caring for the body. So every deacon is a person who's called to that position to come alongside and assist the elders at the elders' direction and the elders' pleasure. And when you understand those two things, 
There's perfect unity and vision as they carry out the goal of the church. Now, how might this look? How would it look as deacons assisting elders in care of the body? Let me give you some. They include charitable acts, maintenance, or special projects for the needy. Deacons come along and they help the members of the body through these means. Or care of the body, hospital visits, cards, phone calls, personal visits in the home. Deacons assist elders in helping them to care this way. Task determined by elders, service in the body, special services or events. If we have need for people to go to Florida to help with rescue work and and to help caring, compassionate ministries, the elders direct those things. Or work as a deliberative group and individuals guided by the elders. The deacons are never a group in and of themselves. They are a group that are to work alongside of the elders to carry out the needs of the church. So, elders are servant leaders. Deacons are leading servants who assist the elders, okay? I'm gonna say, got it. If you got it, say, get it. You ready? No, I'm gonna say, get it. You say, got it. Let me do it backwards. Get it? Good, okay. Let's move on to the next thing. Here's the next question. What are the character qualities required for those who serve as deacons? Paul gives them uh, the character qualities. He makes it very clear. Now, the character qualities of the deacons are very much the same as elders, with the exception, is it not required to teach? Here's how Paul puts it. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless, verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households. So I'm gonna give you seven characteristics of the qualities of deacons. Some of these we've already covered, so I'm not going in great detail. But if you take these, here are the seven characteristics. Number one, they must be serious, must be dignified. The word dignified means serious or reverent. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Serious doesn't mean unhappy, joyless. We're not talking about a grumbling person that never smiles. We're not talking about it. We already have too many of those kinds in the church, like some of you folding your arms right now looking at me. So just let your arms down. Yeah, look at you go. And it doesn't mean to be that kind of, it means to be serious about your task. It means that you're not flippant. It means that to have the position of a deacon is you're gonna take it seriously and you're going to do your job well for the glory of God and for the good of the people. I think about all the deacons we've had in in the past in the life of the church, and I can name a number of them, but I just want to talk about one. He's now with the Lord, Mr. Tom Baker. Many years ago, Jim and I went to a conference, and they did this thing called temple workers in the church where all the retired men who had all kinds of skills were helping serve the church every week. They were painting. They were fixing projects. And so I went to Mr. Tom, and I said, will you do this? He said, I certainly will do this. Over the years, they've saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the only thing we've ever paid them was biscuits and donuts. That's it. And Mr. Tom was serious about his task. 
When we built that family life center, we had a room in there where he put all the tools in. We called it the Holy of Holies. And Mr. Tom, he was the high priest. And he and his helpers were the priests. And they're the only ones that could go into that Holy of Holies to get those tools out. And he took his job so seriously. It wasn't that he was just a wrecking ball. He loved people, but he saw the serious nature of the task. And every now and then, like, you know, in the Old Testament, if a priest went in there and God didn't like it, he'd be struck dead and they had to tie a rope around him and bells. And if the bells stopped ringing and there was no movement, they'd drag out the dead priest. Well, if we needed tools, we'd send the youth pastor in there and we'd tie a rope around him with bells. And, you know, if, somebody, if he didn't come out, well, you know what? Then the interns went in. No. But it was serious work as we did that work. So there's always this seriousness to it that we understand the task. Here's the second thing, is a sincere. They're not double-tongued. That means they speak the truth the first time. These are not people who say one thing to a group of people and something else to another group. These are not the people who say one thing in a group setting and something different when they're outside of the group. These are people who are trustworthy. They say what they mean and they mean what they say. They're not double-tongued. Here's the third thing. They're self-controlled, not addicted to much wine. Again, the apostle Paul is not saying that elders and deacons can never drink alcohol. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying it must be in moderation and you cannot be a drunkard. You cannot be out of control with that. And let me just say something. It's not only an issue of alcohol, but it's the issue of all areas of our life should be lived with, with moderation. And that's including the way we eat, you know, it's really interesting with, to me, and it has been over the years, that most Baptists are staunchly against the, an alcohol bar, but they're not against an all-you-can-eat food bar. <laughs> I went to the convention years ago, and somebody says, Phil, why do you like going to the convention? I said, two reasons. I feel young and thin. Now I just feel thin. <laughs> but there is to be self-control. Fourthly, satisfied. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. In that day, the deacons took care of the benevolence needs. And some of them would steal the money just like Judas did. And some of them would utilize and use people for gain. And the same can be true today. I know pastors and I know deacons who have used their positions for some political advantages. And particularly when it comes to people who own businesses so that they can get a special deal. You know, you have a roofing company. Uh, you know what I really expect? Since you have that roofing company, what I'd like for you to do is give me roofing at a discount since I'm your pastor or since I'm your deacon. I've known people over the years to do that. I refuse to do that. In fact, I met with a guy who was pressure washing my house. He said, I'll do it for you for free, pastor. I said, no, you will not. You will charge me exactly what you charge everybody else because this is your livelihood. And if you don't charge me, I'll find somebody who will charge me. I'd rather pay you, but I'm not expecting a deal because I'm the pastor. These positions are never used for that reason. And there must be integrity in that. Number five, they're spiritually minded. It says they must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. While they're not expected to necessarily be able to teach they are to understand orthodox truths. They are to understand doctrine. They are to understand theology. And they are to be able to have conversations with people about spiritual matters. In other words, their minds are to be set on Christ above and the things of heaven. 
Because somebody say, would say they're so heaven-minded, they're no earthly good. No, 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 no. If you're not heaven-minded, you will never be earthly good. And these are spiritual individuals who pursue that. Number six, they have a servant's heart. And let them also be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Many, many years ago, I had a lady come to me and she says, Phil, would you consider so-and-so to serve as a deacon in this church? I said, why? I said, does he meet the qualifications? She said, I don't know, but I really think that if you made him a deacon, he'll be active. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't ever take somebody and put them in a position and hope they become that. You find somebody who's already that and then you honor them with that service. And so this is a person that's already been tested by their life. And when somebody recommends that individual to serve as a deacon, it's like, yeah, because they already live that way. And so you test them by watching their lives and making sure they're blameless. Number seven, they must be settled. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now, that means let them be the husband of one wife. Now, same qualification for an elder. And we said that that is not a position of marital status as much as it is a point about purity and fidelity in relationships. And the same is true when it comes to deacons. They must have a settled purity of heart and fidelity in their relationships and they must be able to manage their family in such a way that they're modeling Christ-likeness and their family sees it. And so they must be settled. So those are the characteristics of deacons. So we've looked at the relationship. They are assistants to elders. We've seen the characteristics, which really are the characteristics of every believer. If you're a child of God and you name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these are just simply the characteristics of the life of Christ himself, with the exception he wasn't the husband of one wife. He's the bride of the church. But anyway, we are to walk according to that. Now, here's the third question. And this is the one that causes a lot of problems in churches today. This is the one where individuals have been divided this is the one where people have called each other really bad names and really divided themselves with brothers and sisters in Christ, I think, in an unnecessary way. The question is, how do we understand the issue of gender with respect to deacons? How do we understand the issue of gender with respect to deacons? And here's how Paul puts it. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, the question that you have to ask is, who is Paul talking about when he's talking about these women? Is he talking about deacons' wives? Or is he talking about women who assist deacons in ministry known as deaconesses? Or is he talking about women serving as deacons? Now, over the years, people have taken different positions about this. And some individuals will say that, you know what? Those churches that allow women to serve as deacons are liberal and they've gone woke and we want to attack them. And the churches that say, we believe women should not serve as deacons. And the other side will say, you're just fundamental and you're legalistic. 
And then you ask the question, who are they talking about in translations? Now, when you read this passage here, which is the ESV, it says their wives. And you would think, well, there's the answer. The answer is their wives. But other translations do not use their wives. They just use the word women, women. Who's right? Who's wrong? Can it be their wives? Is it just women? How do we understand all of this? Well, what we have to do is we have to go look at the text itself. And this is a very difficult text. As a matter of fact, almost all scholars would say that the difficulties of this text make it almost impossible to know exactly who Paul is talking about when he says these women. Is he talking about wives? Is he talking about deaconesses who assist the, 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 the deacon husbands? Or is he talking about women serving as deacons? And so it's almost impossible to know. And here's the struggle. It's hard to be exactly dogmatic about what is happening here. But what happens is many people take positions based upon tradition or based upon their preference and they overlook all the nuances of the Greek language. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna show you in the time that I have left in what scholars are saying is the most supported view of this. When you look at the word of God in its context and in its Greek and in its structure, what they all do is they rule out the second category. He's not talking about deaconesses. Why? The word deaconess didn't even come to use until 260 years after this letter was written. So he's not talking about assistance to the deacons. He is either talking about wives or he's talking about women serving as deacons. And here's what the scholars are saying. While there may be a few Supporting statements for the wives of deacons, the overwhelming support seems to be in favor of women being able to serve as deacons. Now, where do we get that from? Let me give you five reasons. Number one, the context and the grammatical structure tells us that Paul is most likely speaking about women deacons. He begins the instruction of elders. When he starts talking about deacons, he says, likewise. He uses the word likewise. He's introducing a new category of people. Anytime the word likewise is used, it's a new category of people. So just as the elders would do this, likewise, a new category, he starts talking about male deacons. And then verse 11, he says it again. He says, likewise. He's starting a new category, which refers to women deacons. Now, some will say, no, that's an argument for likewise, the women should have the same characteristics of the men who serve as deacons, which by the way, would make them qualified to serve as deacons. And so their argument falls on itself. So because of the structure of the word likewise, he's creating a new category, which means there are elders and then there are likewise male deacons and likewise female deacons. Here's the second argument. The omission of the possessive pronoun or definite article. In the ESV, it says their wives. That does not appear in the Greek language. In the Greek language, the word is Women, women. Now it could mean wives, but it could mean women. 
And because there is no possessive article there, there, it stands very strong that Paul is talking about women deacons. They also do not use a definite article, which means the women, which refers back to the wives of the deacon men. That's not in the Greek. He leaves it and just says women. And this is perhaps the strongest argument because he's making a case not only for male deacons, but female deacons as well. Here's the third one. The omission of elders' wives' qualifications. Here's interesting. Paul talks about the deacons' wives and their qualifications. If you take that argument, why doesn't he talk about the elders' wives? The elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. They're the ones that have the authority. You would think that if they are to have a high standard, then certainly their wives should have a high standard too. I was talking to Chris about this and I said, he doesn't seem to talk about the standard of the wives of pastors. She said, good, I'm glad of that. No, <laughs> she did. But, but the thing is, is saying that he's not talking about their wives, but he's gonna talk about the deacon's wives. And so it doesn't make any sense in highlighting one. Now, some people will argue and say, well, that's because deacons' wives can do the same thing as their husbands do. Elders' wives cannot participate in their ministry as elders do. That's a valid point. But the problem is, if you take it again to say that it's deacons' wives and they participate in that, then they, again, are at the level of serving as female deacons. And so it goes back to that argument. Here's number four, the use of the word diakonos. The word diakonos, deacon, is masculine, but all through the New Testament is used for both men and women. In Romans chapter 16, verse one, it says, Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Censoria. The word is in the masculine. Why? Because the only way Paul can identify that he's talking about women deacons is not to use the word diakonos, but to use the word woman. And by using that, he's setting up very clear that there are also women deacons. Now here's the last one. The qualifications for these women parallel those of male deacons. They're the same qualifications. If you want to look at the parallel, here they are. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. We see that they lay out just like the men. Go to the next slide. They're serious, dignified, sincere, not slander, self-control, sober-minded, spiritually-minded, faithful in all things. So when you begin to look at the arguments, scholars will say, you cannot be dogmatic in any way. We can't really know for sure, but if you take the grammatical structure of the New Testament, it seems that the stronger argument is for women serving as deacons. Now, let's remember, the job of a deacon is to be an assistant to the elder, no spiritual authority, but simply serving at the leadership of the elders and taking care of the needs of the body. As our elders have talked to this and prayed through this and read books about this and sought God's wisdom in this, we have come down to four conclusions when it comes to deacons in the life of the church, particularly in the life of this church. 
And because you cannot be dogmatic, listen carefully, because we cannot be dogmatic, there are are permissible interpretations that can be used that do not undermine Paul's previous commands of a woman not having spiritual authority over the church. And it doesn't undermine it. Why? Here are the four things our elders have come up with. We agree that the role of deacons is to assist the elders in caring for the body of Christ at Scotts Hill through service. We agree together with that. Secondly, we agree that deacons should reflect the character qualities stated. Obviously, God says it very clearly. Thirdly, we agree that we are to pursue the ideal when it comes to marriage that deacons must not have been divorced. We took that position with elders and we're gonna take that position with deacons. There is the interpretation that can be used as we said last week and some churches view it as not marital status but fidelity and they allow divorced men to serve as elders and deacons. We said that's perfectly permissible through the translation of this text, but we are choosing the ideal that we want to pursue for elders, men who have never been divorced, and for deacons, those individuals who have never been divorced. There's nothing wrong. That does not mean that if you've been divorced, you cannot teach, you cannot have a valuable life in the the church and some ministry. We're not saying that at all. It's just in these two offices in the church that we're taking the ideal. And number four, we agree that since the office of deacon is not one of spiritual authority over the body, that both qualified men and women may serve as deacons, assisting the elders in caring for the body. That's where we are. And this is where we have come down to looking at these things. Now, let me just say this. We have been praying over this. We've been seeking wisdom over this. And this is not a decision that the elders are making at this point, but by looking at the scripture as it is taught and permissible to take a position like that since they are not in charge of directing or doctrine or discipline in the life of the church, they're just coming alongside and serving the body at its full capacity. Our constitution and bylaws currently says only men can serve as deacons. This is not something today we're throwing out there. We're just saying this is what we're working through. And there will be opportunities for us to further discuss these things in the days ahead. But looking at the biblical text, we have to look honestly at that and begin to take that position. There are many, many conservative people like like, um, John MacArthur who hold strongly to this position and a number of Nine Marks Church that we're connected with and churches across the nation that are very conservative that take this position because it's not a position of spiritual authority. So what is the reward? Here's the reward. The reward for deacons for those who serve well. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are two outstanding rewards. The first is this, that they will be respected and honored by those who serve. Those who deacons serve well will honor them and respect them for their service. Secondly, 
They will display boldness as they model the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be living with the confidence of the faith and of the, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be able to walk with boldness. Now, here's how Paul closes his whole letter. I told you I would be done in 35 minutes. I'm getting close. Here we go. Here's what it says. I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Remember, Paul's after the truth, and we're seeking truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, and here it is. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up to glory. He's bringing them back to look at Jesus. He's bringing them back to understand this is the central focus of the church, the gospel. And while he's laid out the elders and the deacons, and while he's working through all of these things culturally, and while he knows there could possibly be difficulties in interpretation and accepting what he's saying, because this is a man's world that he's living in, he's bringing it back to the message of the gospel. And in these six little stanzas, he reminds us of the truth of who Jesus is and what we are to be about. That Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was born a human being by the Virgin Mary and lived a perfect life. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power was upon him and at his resurrection, raised back to life by the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus is vindicated as every single thing he ever said can be trusted because he'd done exactly what he said he would do. And then he's seen by angels. He's feared by demons. He's proclaimed among the nations today as the only means of salvation. He's believed in the world and he has been taken up to glory and he's coming again. And the central focus of all that we do is even though we talk about the governing principles of the life of a church, the most important aspect of everything we do is centered on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're to be about. It's as though Paul has written this letter. He's given an instruction. He's like, now, let's not forget. This is who we serve. And any authority we have comes from him. Any power we have comes from him. Every, any right that we might have comes from him. And let's not forget him and let's not forget to proclaim him to the world because he is the one that unifies us and our cause and our mission and everything that we do. And so as we move forward, as we keep going, it's always, always the gospel. Now I've shared some things with you today that may be against the traditional positions of this church and other churches. And as our elders seek to know the truth of this, we seek to know this in humility. And so as we continue to pray about this, we will be in discussions with you about these things in the days ahead. But govern well. And those who are gifted to serve, we need servants. 
and leading servants in the life of the church. And we want you to be praying about that, that that might be something God is calling you to do, to let's serve together for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we thank you, Father, that where there are places where we cannot fully know, we lean into what has been written and we trust the Holy Spirit's use of words and phrases that we don't even understand. But Father, as we seek to be a church that is biblically minded in everything that we do, in the offices, in the ministries, it is all for the sake of the gospel and nothing less. And Father, may we continue to walk according to that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.